You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Hey, Resonate Church. So good to see you. Good to be with you. My name is Chris. I'm a site pastor in uh, Eugene at Resonate at the University of Oregon. Uh, really excited to get to talk today about uh, emotions and continue our series, uh, The Feels, talking about what God has to say about how we feel and the mushy stuff that's on the inside of us that oftentimes uh, we don't know what to do with. My hope today really is pretty straightforward that in light of God and in light of the gospel, that uh, you get a brand new biblical perspective and a gospel-centered way to see one specific emotion, and that emotion is happiness and joy. So oftentimes in sermons, um, they can kind of feel like a downer. Like oftentimes uh, when you come to church, you can be like, hey, I'm not exactly sure what I'm getting today. Um, Like this this might actually feel like uh, more reprimanding and like warning and um, and not exactly like uplifting. Uh, Our hope is that one, the more you come to know Christ, uh, the more you do feel uplifted uplifted, uh, to be able to uh, understand who you are in him and to live in light of that. Uh, and, And also that today we get to like dive into a topic that we don't actually talk about a whole lot, which is like your happiness, your joy, your gladness. Um, I have just a question for you as we start to kind of kick it off. And that question is, do you think that God wants you to be happy? Do you think that God wants you to be happy? The way that you answer that question, either internally or externally, uh, I think is going to cover uh, so, sorry, it'll ultimately color everything else that you think about happiness. This is one of those things that uh, your understanding of theology and God's character really does paint the way that you live um, as a Christian, and specifically um, when it comes to emotion. What we're seeing in this series of the feels is that a lot of people have a very limited and immature Um, understanding and expression of their emotions. And I think that Christians can be some of the worst when it comes to being in touch with what is happening on the subjective side um, of themselves. Because if you believe that God really doesn't care very much about your emotions, then that's gonna lead you to live and to think and to move and to talk in a very specific way. So almost thinking that like a faulty theology or a misplaced theology of who God is can create a misbalanced life for you. So uh, today I wanted to define happiness, uh, but more so I want to like talk about how to get it Um, because I think that's actually where we want to be. Not just like dance around the issue the whole time, but also like let's imagine we lunge for gladness and for joy and for happiness together as a church. Let's imagine uh, that one day we are the most happy and joyful uh, and glad people that we know. That'd be pretty amazing if God cares about our happiness, if God desires for us to have gladness and joy. So here's a few kind of parameters to be able to set around this idea as we get started. First, you should know that happiness is a universal longing. No matter where you're from, no matter what age you are, no matter what generation you come from or what your cultural background is, uh, everybody wants to have some internal sense uh, of positive emotion. 
uh, joy and happiness and gladness, they're all a desire for humans. Uh, it's almost like we were created that way. Wink, wink. We're going to get there. Um, the second thing is that happiness really, it is um, physiologically traceable. Um, like it, it's not necessarily something that just happens uh, and we have no idea where it comes from, but your brain actually does have these, uh, these hormones that it releases. Uh, you have dopamine, you have oxytocin, you have serotonin, you have endorphins, and, and your physical body actually has a process that it goes through that allows for you to experience happiness. Uh, based on who you are, where you come from, how old you are, a series of things that are unique to you can trigger you to produce higher levels of these, what they call happy hormones. Um, but nonetheless, um, we actually know that there is a physiological process by which your body and your person can experience happiness. And that's kind of helpful to know. Uh, the, the third thing I think that you should know is that historically the church, historically, the church has seen gladness and happiness as an important thing for the life of a Christian. Now, you might not feel that in your church experience, maybe in the last 20 years or 30 years or 40 years. Uh, it may be that your, um, your experience as a part of uh, a, a, a being a Christian, uh, the, the Christendom experience in America has not led you to believe that this is an important thing. But historically, um, over time, what we see is this does matter. If you read uh, early church historians and early church fathers, uh, and even as you read scripture, I think what we'll get to see today is that your happiness and your gladness is of much importance. And that is a good thing. The last thing I think that's important for you to know is that happiness is really squirmy. It's really hard to nail down. Like you know that your, your mind and your, your body produces these hormones, but you might not know exactly when or how, or you may feel like right now, hey, uh, I don't know like the process by which these things happen inside of me. I'm not sure what makes this happen for me. So what we're going to do together is to kind of walk forward and try to tackle some of these questions together. You should know uh, by the fact that this is a topic in the series, The Feels, uh, you should know that there is something that God cares about for your happiness. And recently there was a study that was done at the University of uh, Denver where some psychologists came together and they wanted to study these, uh, th th they wanted to study happiness. And what they actually ended up finding is that it's, it's, it's kind of squirmy enough that what they found through their studies was the more that people focus on obtaining happiness, the less happy they actually are. So if your end goal, this is what secular psychologists have found, if your end goal is finding happiness, then it may be that your journey is not going to lead you to exactly what you will find. And that is a kind of a strange reality. My question for you uh, really is, does God want you to be happy? Does God want you to be happy? My argument, and I believe the argument from scripture, which we'll talk about, is that God does want you to be happy. God does want you to be happy. And there's a lot of books that have been written about this. I'm sure you could go to your local uh, Value Village or your local uh, Goodwill and find a book like this uh, somewhere in the $1 section. Probably don't read this one. Uh, there's a better book that you, if you wanna read uh, about what God has desires uh, for your gladness and for your emotion, um, a book by Randy Alcorn called, uh, Does God Want Me to Be Happy? is a great resource for you. Um, but I, I think a faulty understanding of this has made some miserable Christians. 
I think that um, your life, if you don't believe that God has positive, um, a positive life experience in store for you, that your life may resemble something that is really dismal. Maybe a life that no non-believer would envy. Maybe a heart that doesn't pine for God and overflow with positive emotion towards God, but instead kind of operates on the grayscale. I'm sure if you surveyed uh, some of the relationships with Christians that you've had over your life, you might say, hey, you actually are maybe one of the least happy people that I know. You operate out of joylessness and, uh, and a lack of gladness and a lack of happiness rather than an overflow and an abundance of that. Um, I think that there's a delineation between um, happiness and joy that has been misunderstood. And I've actually heard this from, uh, from a lot of Christians. Um, maybe that like God cares about your joy, but he doesn't care about your happiness. So like ultimately, if you have a, 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 a long term, like your entire life exudes joy, but uh, if, if that's the case, then your happiness doesn't actually matter very much. That's really hard for me to understand. That's really hard for me to think that a person could like really be happy or could really be joyful for the long term in knowing God and serving him and understanding the gospel and not overflow with positive happiness. And so uh, when you go into scripture, there's something that shows up um, if you study some of the Old Testament and some stuff in the New Testament, the word happy actually does show up a lot in the Old Testament. And it shows up several times in the New Testament in different formats. Depending on your Bible translation, you might get the word happy uh, in certain places. You also might get the word blessed in that exact same place. So depending on your translation, um, the word, the root word that is often used in scripture to describe this can tend towards both of those meanings. That there's actually places where those words kind of intertwine together. I wanna show you this place in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 29. This is in the ESV. This is, this is what it says in Deuteronomy 33. It says this about the nation of Israel. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you? a people who are saved by the Lord, the shield of your help, the sword of your triumph. Happy are you, O Israel. That's kind of cool. Like that's a a distinguishing mark of the people of Israel because they have been saved. There's no one like you. You've been saved by God. You're happy. You should be happy. And that's in the ESV. In the NIV, if you read it, the word is blessed. Blessed are you. Blessed are you, O Israel. So being blessed uh, and a state of happiness can sometimes in scripture seen as be, uh, uh, be seen as synonymous with one another. Um, you don't clearly see this, uh, super clearly see this delineation between happiness and joy. What you do see is like in Galatians chapter five, you see that joy is one of the fruit of the spirit. Then when you have the Holy Spirit, joy is produced in you. So I want to maybe talk about this a little bit more and introduce you to some old words that we are going to dive into a little bit more that's going to give you a, a better framework for understanding happiness. Those words are delight. I don't know how often you say delight. The word pleasure. I'm not sure in what scenario or when or how often you say the word pleasure. And the last word that you'll hear uh, a lot as you explore this is the word treasure. Treasure and delight and pleasure. Those are old timey words that all have much to do with your joy and with your happiness. Here's a, uh, something for you to see. Paul commands in scripture for the churches that he writes to, to rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. If God does not want a sense of positive emotion, 
of joy and of happiness within you, then that statement, that command is problematic at best as he commands that to the churches. And at worst, it's totally impossible. It's not possible if God does not want that for you. Looping back to Deuteronomy 33, what you see is that salvation and being saved by God, purely by how good he is, purely by how great of a God he is, should induce happiness. That feeling of blessedness and blessedness and happiness interworking with one another. So your salvation, if you know God, should produce a sense of happiness within you, right? That makes sense. Third, there's a place in Isaiah 52, um, verse 7, where the gospel itself is spoken. It's, it's referred to as a message of happiness. The gospel message is a message of happiness. That not only when you believe it, but when you hear it, it can produce happiness inside of you. And it should produce happiness inside of you. The fact that there is a God who pursues us and loves us, who sent his son for us to unite him to himself, thus fulfilling our grand purpose on earth. And the only reason why we have breath, that should create happiness inside of you. It's almost as if, and, and I don't mean to be sarcastic when I say this, it's almost as if since God is the greatest imaginable reality, since he is pure bliss, pure perfection, pure and complete good, and because the gospel makes us not just acquaintances with him, but actually found inside of him, that we should be happy as a response. I don't want that to sound sarcastic, but it's almost as if that is the case. And if you read more of the psalmist, you'll see this over and over again. In Psalm 16, verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. When I have you, I have good. I have all the good that I need within you. Then that would make a person happy. In Psalm 73, 25, who do I have in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire except for you. I have you. That's all that I need. I don't desire anything else and I have you. That would make a person happy. In Psalm 142 verse 5, I cry out to you, O Lord, I say, you are my portion in the land of the living. My portion. You are my inheritance. You are my ration. You are all that I need in the land of the living. And that will make a person happy. So I think a plain and logical person who is reading scripture for the first time might see this maybe even more clearly than you or I, as we have some church baggage and some Christian uh, experience in our lives that might color this wrongly for us. But um, I think in the pursuit and the obtaining of God, who is the greatest imaginable reality that mankind finds itself truly satisfied, fully delighted, fully glad, and truly happy in the pursuit and the obtaining of God. I regret to say this, uh, but for most of my Christian life, I, I really thought that happiness was a pretty immature concern. Um, even that pursuing happiness might be sinful. Like I actually, I actually thought that for a long time. Somehow that joy was absent of happiness. And that if happiness did come, then that was kind of like a bonus. It's like a bonus to the Christian life. That's, that's really how I operated. Uh, but in August of 2019, I had maybe the largest Kairos moment uh, in magnitude uh, and in like duration of my life. 
Um, and it re really led me on this kind of goose chase through the Psalms and through reading books uh, that would help me understand myself and through reading books about grace and really through like running through the, the caverns of theology and church history and of my Bible and of my own broken past. And I, I, I dove into books like Pilgrim's Progress, which is a very old book that talks about uh, the, the, the journey of a Christian from being saved. One huge allegory from being saved and experiencing Jesus all the way to seeing him face to face. I read books like The Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning, which is a, a, an absolutely ego shattering book about just how gracious God is to you, that the extent of his grace to you cannot even be quantified but you have to experience this. I read The Pursuit of God over and over and over and over again. I'd pair it with my DTs in the morning, a chapter of Tozer and a chapter of scripture. And I was actually reading the Psalms mostly in that season of my life. Most of the scripture that I took for a long time was through the Psalms. I probably listened to like a hundred sermons from John Piper and Matt Chandler and Charles Spurgeon, R.C. Sproul. And I'd wake up at like 5 a.m. and I'd, I'd go sit out on my porch with a cup of coffee uh, and, and a book and a couple books and a journal and a pen. And I'll just sit and like stare out at the world and just consume. And something inside of me was igniting. And I, and I, I didn't maybe know it at the time, but what, it, what was igniting inside of me was the idea of delight. The idea of delight in the Lord. I began to delight in God. I began to truly, truly have affections for God that began to burst in my heart. And as I read these people, and as I listened to men and women whose highest aim was delighting in God, personal delight in God, that they wanted their own happiness and they somehow found it by delighting in something that was different than their own happiness. They sought things that were delicious to them emotionally and spiritually and mentally. And every one of those roads led to the gospel. And they, they knew something about God's glory and they knew that it was intricately tied to my delight and their delight in him. That the pursuit of happiness, ultimate happiness, would eventually lead you to the gospel. And the gospel would ultimately lead you to an affection, a delight, and a treasuring of God. To be most obedient to him would produce the most happiness in us. And it was in that season of life that I came upon for the first time a term that I now love and think about often, which is the term Christian hedonism. I came upon the term Christian hedonism. Uh, if you looked up the word hedonism, it's usually connected to like debauchery and like just wild living. It's the, 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 the seeking of pleasure above all else. And when the word hedonism is used in our culture today, it's not used to connect a person's desire with God. It's used to connect their desire with frivolous living. But the idea of Christian hedonism is this, that when we are satisfied in God, he becomes glorified in us. In fact, to say it a different way, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So our satisfaction in God, our delight in God, our locating God as the object of our desire glorifies him. 
It makes him look really good. It causes him to be seen as great. And this is a pleasure that we get as Christians, that non-Christians don't get to experience, that, that this gives way to happiness. And that when you're pleased in God and when you delight in God and you find him there and he meets you there, your emotions ignite, your gladness ignites, and you can pursue happiness and locate that happiness in who God is and happiness will spring from that. Happiness will spring from that. So the delight in God himself is, a, is this thing. It's treasuring his person. And I think this is an essential aspect of being a Christian. I don't know how you can follow God for your whole life. I don't know how you can sacrifice for him for your entire life and not have an overflowing affection for him. I, I don't know how you can obey him over and over without delighting in who he is. I actually think that one of the works of salvation in the human heart is affection, that it creates affection, that when he saves you, that you have now a new affection for God, not just um, a knowledge, not just an obje objective understanding, but subjective feelings. And, and this is actually what it would say in, in James chapter one, which we're, we're gonna walk through James in our very next sermon series. But this is actually what it would say in, in James chapter, uh, in, one, in one of the early chapters of James, um, that, that, that even the demons know about who God is. Even, even evil knows about God. So it's not the uh, logical understanding of God that is connected to salvation. What demons don't have, what evil doesn't have, what the difference is between them and us is they don't treasure him. They don't delight in him. They hate him. I was flying in a plane yesterday, and every time I fly, I look out the window and I go, is this it? Like, is this thing going to go down? Is this, you know, is this the time where I get to go see God face to face? And you probably have some similar thoughts and feelings whenever you uh, do something dangerous. But as I was staring out the window, I was just thinking, you know, it's not because I'm a pastor that I have confidence in the fact that if I died right now, that I would go and get to be with God for eternity. If it's because I'm a pastor, then most of you are in a, a lot of trouble. Like it can't be the fact that I have a title. And it also can't be just the fact that I like know about God and I've like read the Bible before. What I have confidence in one is that he will hold me, that he won't let me go, that when he saved me, it's his work to continue saving us. That's on him. And the other thing that gives me incredible hope is that I have affection for God. I love him. Like I, I enjoy him. I delight in him. I want him. I desire him. I think this is a marker of the Christian. And one of the ways to tell if God is at work in your life is do you on a heart level have affection for him? Do you treasure him? Do you desire him? I also think this is the only way to really kill sin. I think it's the only way to really kill sin because when you sin, it's because there's pleasure that's lying there for you. No, you don't sin because you just like have to. You sin because you think that there is something there that is good that's gonna make you happy. And so the only way to kill it is to, to combat it with the superior pleasure, with a greater treasure with a higher understanding, with a different source, a greater source, a more powerful source. Just like telling yourself that you're gonna stop sinning or telling a person to stop sinning, that's not gonna cut it. You need a greater source of treasure and a greater desire. I'll, I'll put it to you like this. Uh, in, 
in, uh, in Oregon where we live, about 40 minutes south of, of where we live. Uh, it's a city called Cottage Grove. And we just found out that in Cottage Grove, there's a river that runs through it that has gold in the river. There's gold in the river in Cottage Grove. So like if you wanted to, you come down and visit and like you have to pan for it. And panning for gold is a really tedious and arduous process. Uh, a lot of like the development and the industrialization of the Western, like the West Coast came in the early 1800s when there was this gold mine. Um, and everyone was trying to find gold. And you would have to like put your pan in the water and then kind of like shake it out and then you know do it again and shake it out and it would take forever. And some people never found their treasure, but you have to pan for it. And, and it was very difficult to locate treasure because of this process of panning for gold. Um, well, in the late 1800s, a man named Alexander Graham Bell, who invented the telephone, I think, he also invented something called a metal detector. And it's crazy because the reason why, he, I just found this out, the reason why he invented the metal detector is because the president at that time, James Garfield, had just had an assassination attempt on his life and he got shot and there was like bullet shrapnel somewhere inside of him and they didn't know where it was and it was gonna kill him. And so uh, Alexander Graham Bell said, I'll invent this new piece of technology that will essentially locate where the precious thing is inside that we need to extract. Uh, and it didn't work, the guy died. Unfortunately, <laughs> that's really sad. Uh, but now we have metal detectors, right? And what a metal detector does is creates this little magnetic field, electricity, uh, um, magne magnetic field runs uh, out of the bottom of the metal detector. And if it senses some metal, uh, there's, a, there's a charge that happens in that metal underground. And that charge creates a magnetic field and then it communicates that back to the metal detector and it beeps at you, right? You've, you've seen this before. When you kind of hover over your treasure, the metal detector beeps at you. It tells you this is where your treasure is. This is what you're looking for. This is what you have found. I think the emotion of happiness is a metal detector for the most precious things that you treasure. I think that the reason why happiness is so important is because when you hover over your treasure, your happiness ignites. It beeps at you. So in a real way, your happiness matters because it locates something. It indicates something. It reveals something about you. It beeps at you. Happiness in your mind and your soul and emotion is beeping at you because it has located that thing which you have treasured. So here's an example. You win a sports game, you win an award, and your happiness abounds. Well, it's because there's something about winning that is very, very precious to you. Very precious to you. And so when you locate that thing and when you grasp it and you obtain it, your emotion follows. You watch a friend like receive an award or something, you might feel a great amount of pride. I'm so glad I know that person and your happiness beefs at you. You earn extra money on your paycheck this month and, and, or, or a bonus this year and you know that means you can now take a vacation. Uh, there's something that you treasure there that your happiness beeps at because you have located that which you treasure. So this is amazing because the Bible does talk a lot about treasure and it talks about pleasure and it talks a ton about delight. A ton about delight. So my question for you, my next question would be, if you are not experiencing happiness in your life, if you're not experiencing joy, could it be that you are calibrated to the wrong treasure? Could it be that what you are seeking is the wrong thing and what you beep for is not enough? Could it be that you should pay close attention to what you beep loudest 
for. In fact, I think right now, if you took a second and you just thought about the happiest times in your life, or maybe the happiest times of this past year, and ask yourself, why? Why was I so happy when that thing came? I believe that when you come closer down and you follow that thought pattern further, you will locate your treasure. You will locate your treasure. And conversely, if you said, why have I experienced an absence of happiness, an absence of joy or of gladness? It may be because the treasure that you have located is just totally lacking. It's not enough. It's not significant enough for you. It cannot fill you. Here's the good news though, your happiness matters to God. Isn't that good news? Isn't it good news that your happiness matters to God? That your gladness and your joy and your positive emotion, the presence of your positive emotion matters to Him? And the absence of your positive emotion, He has something to say about that? You think it would suck to give your present and your future and your eternity to a person that does not care about your emotions? Wouldn't that be terrible? I think most of us have this totally backwards. And when you envision your life of maybe serving in the kingdom of God, you envision yourself like Ignacio from Nacho Libre, where he's like, I gotta wake up every morning at 4 a.m. and make some soup. It's great. No, it's not. I gotta lay in a bed by myself every day for the rest of my life. It's fantastic. No, it's not. That sucks. That's not great. Slaving away in the kitchen wearing sackcloth. That's not maybe the, the utmost uh, experience of internal understanding that God has. It might be that you are called to that thing, but he cares about your joy. You don't have to lie about the fact that that's there. It should totally alter the way that we interact with people when infinite joy is available to us because God is available to us. That should totally change the way that we interact with people. It should change the way that we share the gospel. When we think about telling a person about who Jesus is, to change the way that we think from, oh, this is gonna be scary, what if they don't believe it, to what if they experience the fullness of joy as a result of this? What if they obtain God as their deepest treasure for the first time and their happiness and their joy ignites for the first time? What if? What if this is the truest life that they have? We know that it is. What if they believe it today? What if this is something that they begin to understand today? To recalibrate, to make God their deepest treasure, to locate Him, to draw near, and to have Him to experience the fullness of joy. In Psalm 1611, this is what it says. It's beautiful. In your presence is the fullness of joy. In your presence is the fullness of joy of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Man, may we experience the fullness of joy and gladness and overflow with happiness because we have access to our beloved God. It's amazing. So I think some people right now would, would go down the pathway and say, God doesn't care about our happiness. He only cares about our holiness. He doesn't care about our happiness. He only cares about our holiness. He cares about our obedience. He does not care if our emotions follow. And to that, I would say, a life of obedience that is totally absent of affection, of pleasure, and of delight is not how God has intended us to live. That is a dismal life. That is duty. That's duty. And I believe that God has something deeper for us than just duty. 
This doesn't mean that our happiness and our obedience always unite. That's not what I'm saying. I think if we were perfect, it would. I think that obedience to the Father created extreme happiness and joy for Jesus. I think that in his perfection, he did what he ought to do and he wanted to do what he ought to do. And I think that would be the truth for us if we were not fallen and sinful. We are, we're broken. Our obedience doesn't always make us happy. It feels like self-denial and that is contrary to the flesh. It's antithetical to the flesh. You can just ask Hosea if he was happy. Ask Jeremiah if he was happy. Ask Jonah if he was happy. Obedience doesn't always immediately produce happiness in you. If you're moving to a church plant right now, you might experience a distance between your obedience and your level of happiness and joy. You might go, hey, I, I realize this is what I need to do, but there's a lack there. I'm not, I'm, I'm not exactly feeling these things at the same time. Maybe you're discipling a person who's testing your patience right now. Hey, I know I need to do this, but uh, when's my happiness going to follow in this? For the Christian though, self-denial for the sake of God's glory and self-denial for the sake of greater delight in God produces holiness, which ignites your happiness and your joy. So I don't see these two things as separate. I see them as intertwined. I see them as working together. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that God wants you to be happy at all costs, whatever way that works for you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you should do whatever you find to be the most happy inducing thing for you. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, what I believe scripture says is that God wants you to experience the fullness of joy by relocating your deepest treasure from whatever it is that's not God to it being Him. That your relationship with Him would create that for you. I don't think culture can give you true happiness. I think self-denial is the death of what culture would see as true happiness. I read a real article this week, a serious article called Seven Reasons Why Selfishness is the Key to Happiness. A truthful article, seven reasons. So basically culture would say, just make sure your treasure is below the surface and make sure that it's you. Make sure you are your own treasure. But that's not true happiness. That's not true happiness, it's settling. It's settling for something that is less than. It's settling. People who seem happy and glad and joyful and their deepest treasure is not Christ. Their greatest delight is not our God. They're, they're in my mind, like. People who are lost at sea drinking salt water to try to quench their thirst. Unknowingly, on the inside, they're dying of dehydration. So their happiness might suffice for a while. It might be there for a year, two years, five years, a decade. Maybe they have a life of happiness, but it's not going to be enough for eternity. It's misplaced. That's the same, the famous quote from C.S. Lewis uh, that says, you're far too easily pleased. Your problem is that you are too easily pleased. You are settling for salt water when fresh water is available for you. You are settling for a lesser treasure when gold and, and all of the treasures that you could ever desire in Christ are there. So here's the good news. You can control your joy. It's not accidental. It's not animalistic, but it requires a miraculous transformation that you cannot produce inside of yourself, to find more pleasure in God than in sin, to find more delight in God than in yourself. We know how to get it. You can't produce it. And that is 
the, the issue that the gospel solves. You cannot do this without Christ. So if you don't know Jesus today and you're listening, I hope that you don't hear, God wants you to be happy. Go do whatever it is that makes you happy. I hope that you hear this. God desires to transform the object of your delight to be Him. And when that happens, true happiness will spring forth. You cannot do this without Christ. The gospel message is that you need him to be united to the Father and that he came to unite you to the Father and that all other pursuits of joy and gladness will fall flat if not found in him. And so my prayer as we finish today is that you would understand the gospel that ultimate happiness is impossible outside of Christ, that he would be the greatest treasure in your heart. And that would cause you to spend quality time with him in a brand new way. It would cause him to cause you to ask him to kickstart something supernatural in your life that then ignites your happy hormones inside of your brain to produce brand new things for you. And that he, at the end of the day, would make you happy in him, that you would be happy in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the fact that you are good to us. Lord, thank you so much for the fact that you are God. I pray, Lord, for my friends that are listening right now who in a, a real way are experiencing a lack of joy, a lack of happiness, a lack of gladness. Lord, would your truth from Psalm 16, 11, capture their hearts. Lord, would you do something brand new inside of them, Father. Would their affection for you grow? Would their delight in you expand? And would all lesser treasures that are not you be done away with, Lord? Would we, we, would we relocate um, our love and the treasure of our heart to me and you? Would that produce gladness and extreme joy inside of us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.